Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. So Matthew 7 is right in the heart of Jesus' teaching for us. If you don't know, Matthew Levi wrote this biography about Jesus' life. He was one of Jesus' closest followers. And though at the time that he met Jesus, he was someone who lived in a way, he had a vocation that was sort of anti to the Jewish people who was collecting taxes for Rome. He actually writes what is uh, considered the most Jewish of the Gospels, the most Jewish of the biographies about Jesus. And in it, we see that um, he speaks in a way that draws a lot out of the Old Testament and, and their worldview of the time. The first thing that you'll notice, if you'll turn to it in your Bibles or on your smartphones, the first thing you'll notice about this passage is that it's in a sea of red. In some translations, at least, the words of Jesus are written, written in red. And apart from in John chapters 16 through 18, the high priestly prayer, this is one of the biggest slabs of red that we have in our Bible. And also there's a profound simplicity to Jesus' teaching. It demands our all. But actually, it's not that hard to get our heads around. So maybe you've found it. Let's read together. Let's see what God's going to do today through his word. Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. God, I ask that today as we come before your word that you will speak, that you'll diminish me, that you'll increase you. God, we long to be more like Jesus, your son. So show us a way and reveal to us your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's been told to me that I'm a rather persistent guy. I was never the biggest guy on the rugby field, but I'd always put more time in the weights room or more time on the sprinting track than everyone else. And certainly in law school, I was not even close to the sharpest tool in the shed. But by studying hard, I was able to get by. If you ask my wife about persistence, she'll say, yeah, that's true. I actually asked my wife to marry me after dating her for two weeks. And some of you are thinking, Nick, you're a moron. Correct. But you'll also be pleased to know she had the, the good breeding to, uh, to say no. I actually knew after two hours of dating her, but I just waited for 13 days and 22 hours because, uh, you know, to show that I had self-control. Um, but she refused me for another 18 months. I just kept on asking and kept on asking, and eventually she gave in, and here we are 25 years later. As we come to this passage, the first thing that jumps out at me is kind of the, the persistence that God is calling us to here. Do you see those words? Ask, seek, knock. The Bible, the New Testament, wasn't written in English. It was written in a form of Greek called Koine Greek. And those phrases are all in what's called the present imperative. What it really means is that it's an ongoing thing. It's almost couched in kind of habitual terms. That, that this is characteristic of the person. 
They are someone who asks and continues to ask, seeks and continues to seek, knocks and continues to knock. This is descriptive of how we are to come before God. But also the words are indicative of how we're to come before God. See the first one said, ask. It's not in a presumptuous way. It's not in a demanding way. Give me this, God, give me this. We don't get to do that. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Who are we to say that to him? We get to come before him with humble petition, crying out to him. It's not even some kind of formula that we get to say, you know, according to a recipe of prayer that somehow twists his arm behind his back. That's not how it works. That, a lot of the people in the ancient world believed that you could do that with the gods. A lot of people even today believe that we can somehow do that with God, but we don't get to do that with him. We get to come before him in humble submission and we get to ask him, our loving father. It also says, seek and you'll find And of course, the context of this passage is talking chiefly about prayer. But I think that 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 is also of wider importance to us. Seek and you'll find. A little bit later, it says everyone who asks receives and, and everyone it implies who seeks will find. I take great heart in this. Because I believe that that anyone who is truly and authentically seeking God will find him. My wife got saved out of the occult. And most of our life was spent our, our ministry amongst people who are of a new age spirituality. And I believe this with all my heart, that anyone who earnestly seeks God, who fears no question and who fears no answer, will ultimately make it to the foot of the cross. I believe it for historical, biblical reasons. I believe it for philosophical, theological reasons. I believe it for experiential reasons, that they will ultimately find their way to the foot of the cross, and they will ultimately come and meet Jesus. So if you're out there and you're listening, and you're wondering about that, I would just encourage you to keep seeking. Keep seeking him out. He will answer you. And the last thing to see, it says, knock, and the door will be opened. There's this old word. We don't use it much anymore. The word is importunate. It's a sort of a, an old English word that means a combination of persistence and sort of insistence. You cry out in an unyielding kind of way. In the parallel of this passage in Luke 11, because of course Jesus reiterated his teaching again and again like any good teacher. In the parallel, he gives the image of a guy who comes to his neighbor in the middle of the night and says, Hey neighbor, I've had some guys rock in from out of town and I need some food. Can you help me out? And his neighbor's like, no way, get out of here. It's the middle of the night. But because of his shameless audacity, it says, because he keeps on knocking, he's insistent, he's persistent, he keeps on knocking. Eventually the guy gets up and says, yeah, I'll get you some, I don't know, spam and asparagus from the coronavirus cupboard that I'm never going to eat. But there you go, get out of here. And he gives out to his mate. And from an argument from the lesser to the greater, God says, how much more then would I listen to your prayers? But did you see that the tense changes? Straight after this, it said, those who, if you ask, you receive. It says, those who asks, receives. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I think this is indicative of the fact that there's a, there's a kind of a, a divine present understanding of a God hears us. God knows us. There is no prayer that he doesn't hear. And I don't, uh, I don't think it matters if you are very far from God or very close to God. 
I happen to believe that he hears all of us. He loves all of us. He is never far from any of us. So that portion, of course, speaks to how we are to be before God. The next portion speaks about who God is and him being a good father. Do you see, it says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And God, of course, in that, the analog for him is, is the parent. Do you notice it doesn't say, if your kid asks for bread, that you're going to give them bread? It doesn't say, if your kid asks for a fish, that you're going to give them fish? My kids, if I asked them, they would want ice cream three meals a day, followed by s'mores at night. That would be a recipe for disaster. But God is a good father over and above that. He is a loving father. He hears our prayers. He immediately hears our prayers. But he doesn't always give us what we want. And I think that that's really significant. And I think it's significantly wonderful. There's a great website called pursuinggod.org. And I'd encourage any of you to go and check it out. It's got lots of great little sort of short devotions and kind of conversation starters as you're looking to be discipled and to disciple others. Anyway, one of them, uh, and I'll put the link in the notes, but it talks about the four answers that God gives to prayer. God answers prayer slow or grow or no or let's go. Sometimes God answers prayer with a slow. You know, Abraham, when he was 75 years old, was promised by God that he would have a son. It was only when he was 100 years old that the son came. A buddy of mine who I was talking with over the last week, he saw his mum come to know and love and follow Jesus. He's been praying for her for decades. Friends, sometimes it takes longer than we're comfortable with. Don't feel that because you've popped off a prayer that it's going to be answered straight away. That's not always how it works out. God answers prayer sometimes slow. God also answers prayer sometimes grow. Could be the right prayer, but maybe we're not ready for it. That job that you really want, that promotion you really want, actually it's not the right time for it. You're not ready for that. A young guy that I'm walking with and journeying with spiritually, he's a great young man and he has a yearning to, to find a wife. But he knows, he knows that God is doing this work in him and changing him and reshaping him and getting him ready to be one day what I believe, if God blesses him, to be an excellent husband. Sometimes God answers prayer, grow. Sometimes God answers prayers, no. Or in my case, are you kidding me? Because I've prayed some stupid prayers. I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad, buy all the things I never had. You ever prayed prayers like that? I want you to know that God loves us enough that he interprets our prayers. And if it's a prayer that actually should get a no, he's still going to give us a no. But I don't want you to think for a minute that that prayer is a sinful prayer. That just because you prayed it, it's okay to pour your heart out for God. He loves us enough. He's going to give us what we need, not what we want. In fact, Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed, the next day he was crucified and beaten and went through horrendous pain. He asked God the Father, he said, would you take this, this cup of suffering away from me? And the prayer, of course, was answered with a no. 
That doesn't mean that, that Jesus was somehow sinful. That doesn't mean that, that Jesus praying against the will of God the Father was wrong. He was pouring out his heart to his loving Father. My daughter, she is just so wonderful. I love her, love her. She is amazing. Anyone who knows her know that she fills up whatever room that she is in. I think she's like that builder's putty. You know, you spray it in and however big the crevice is, it fills the crevice. Whatever room she is in, she fills that room. That's what she's like. A little while ago, I was sitting at the kitchen table and I heard her shouting out from her room, Dad, Dad, you know, where's my, where's my white skirt with the pink polka dots? And she's screaming out. And we've been trying to teach our kids unsuccessfully as it happens to not shout from one end of our little cottage to the other. We live in Oceanside. If you were down in Cardiff, you probably would have heard her. Sorry for that. But I just sat there and stayed quiet. And I waited. And then she came out. She was all flustered, you know. And she came out and I had her come and sit on my knee. And I said, darling, actually, actually, I, I know where it is. I, I knew it was in the wash. I said, darling, that, that skirt's in the wash. And, and you know, today, actually, we're going to be riding bikes. So you need to wear your, you need to wear your, your pink tracksuit pants with the red polka dots today. Everything's pink, pink with, you know, flourishes. But I said, darling, because it wouldn't suit today to do that. But the point wasn't that I knew um, where her dress was. The point wasn't that I, that I sort of directed her in a different way. The, actually, the point for me was that I wanted that intimacy with her. I wanted her to come and sit on my knee because I love her. I just want to whisper sweetness to her and, uh, and words of love to her. And I think it's like that with God. Don't feel like because you're praying that he's not listening. He really is listening. There is no prayer that he doesn't listen to. But don't think that that means that he's going to give you everything you want. He loves you far too much for that. And lastly, of course, God can answer prayer. Let's go. Sometimes it's things outside of our capacity. And, uh, and he will answer that with one of the other ways. But for the most part, our prayers actually include our agency. Lord, so many of my friends are struggling at this time. The community around us as the economy is tanking is in a really tough place. Would you, would you uh, come in and involve yourself in that situation? And God says, yeah, let's go. And as a church, you guys have been rising up. I've been amazed and delighted by all that's been going on in the heart of our church. Sometimes it's like, Lord, that friend of mine, he doesn't know you. He needs to know your love and your peace and your kindness. And God says, yeah, let's go. Let's you and me go. And we can be part of that change together. Because God is a good father. And you know, here in uh, verse 11, it is, God says, your father in heaven, how much more will, give, will he give good gifts to those who ask him? In the Luke parallel, it actually says, how much will we not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God gives good things, and the best thing of all is the Holy Spirit. And I know that some of us have fears to do with the third person of the Trinity, but I just want you to know you shouldn't. God will never demean you. God will never betray you. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is the most wonderful gift of all. It's freedom from sin and death. Romans 8, 1-2. It's being transformed from one degree of glory into another degree of glory, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. It's capacity to move through suffering, to endurance, to character, to hope, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit in Romans 5. 
It's the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. This is the pouring out of God into our hearts. Friends, uh, God gives us good gifts and chief amongst them is the Holy Spirit. So friends, you can come before God with confidence, knowing that he hears your petitions, he hears your prayers, and he answers as a good father does. But that's not the end of what we read to begin with, is it? You notice here in verse 12, it comes down to what's called the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. There's this Old Testament law called Lex Talionis. It's the law of retribution. It's in Exodus 21. And if that was the totality of the law, it would be a law of strict justice. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. As Tuvaya says in Fiddler on the Roof, the problem with that is that then the whole world ends up blind and toothless. Actually, he was Russian, so that was a bad accent. But, you know, superimpose the right accent across that. Okay? But this concept of the golden rule, it was not alien to those first hearing it. In fact, it's not alien to us. Because even if you know nothing about Christianity, it actually appears in all world religions. A version of that appears in Confucianism, it appears in Hinduism, it appears in Buddhism, it appears in Greco-Roman philosophy. In fact, it appeared in first century Judaism. The great rabbi, Hillel the Elder, said that you should uh, do no in- injury to others that you don't want them to do to you. He said, that's a totality of the law, the rest is commentary. Jesus says the same thing, this is all the law. But did you notice how it was couched? In every one of those other contexts, it's always couched in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. So that would allow for passivity. It's great, but that would allow for passivity. You could be a rock and abide by that, unless, I don't know, you're in the middle of the I-5, and then you would do damage to others. But, But that could allow for us to be passive. Jesus' teaching is way more exacting than that. He says, do unto others, actively do to others what you would like them to do to you. It's going to demand empathy. It's going to demand us putting ourselves in their shoes. It's going to demand us going out of our comfort zone. We would want others to do that for us. If we were suffering, we would want them to involve themselves and to help alleviate our suffering. Some of you will be thinking, why is that even there? There's all this petitioning about God, then it moves to this thing, the golden rule. And I think, and we're going to come into an end here, and I'm going to interview a friend in a moment to do with a matter that is at hand, to do with racial justice and a theology of difference in our nation and things that we're dealing with. But some of you are thinking, why is that there? It seems like a disjuncture, you know, between this crying out to God and, and looking for intimacy with God, the good father, and then us being demanded to sort of live according to this Jesus ethic. And here's what I want to say. I believe that it's there. There's lots of commentaries and and things written on this, but I believe it's there quite simply because there is a connection between us walking in intimacy with God and us living out a Jesus ethic that will demand much of us. And it's self-giving. The more we're living lives radically giving away 
um, uh, our lives for the sake of others, the more we feel intimacy with God. And the more we feel intimacy with God, the more we get to give our lives away. It's not a, not a works-based righteousness. I'm not saying that. It's all God. It's all by God's grace. It's all by the power of God's spirit. But there's a connection there. In Isaiah 58, in a hard passage to read, one that's very exacting for us as followers of Jesus, it says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you expend yourselves on behalf of the needy and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. The Jesus life is not an easy life. Anyone who thinks Christianity is a crutch is wrong. It's an exacting life. It's a hard life. It's a most fulfilling life. And there's nothing that comes close to how wonderful it is. But Jesus demands our all. Friends, I'm going to invite up Willie Register now, and we're going to have a discussion. And I hope that you'll stick with us so that we can move in together. So, okay, friends, we're going to go from the word of God that we loved to hear from a man of God that we love. This guy uh, needs no introduction to you all. Uh, Willie Register, he's a dear friend of mine. And uh, he's an amazing husband and an amazing father. And I wanted uh, to involve him in this conversation as we uh, move forward together and as we discuss uh, things that are going on in our world. So, Willie, great to see you here, brother. It's good to see you too, man. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, most people out there know about you and your family and things, but just give us a little potted summary about, about the family and what life is like for you right now. Yeah, life is a little crazy right now. So we've got, Jane and I have been married for eight and a half years, and we started having kids pretty much right away. So we have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old, and both of us are trying to work from home. So our house is a little bit crazy. It's like a zoo. Um, sometimes it's a fun zoo and other times it's not, but yeah, life is yeah. a little crazy. Sometimes you got to feed the lions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> They're cubs still. They're so cubs. We're okay. Yeah. They're the most cutest, gorgeous yeah. little guys. Yeah, we just love them. But mate, so three kiddos and then tell us a little about you. So especially yeah. this conversation that we're going to talk about today, um, what was it like for you growing up? I mean, for me, I often marvel that we're such close mates because I grew up 10,000 miles away yeah. from here in country, Western yeah. Australia. And yet, what was it like for you uh, growing up? Yeah, it was interesting. So I was born in Tennessee in Memphis. And when I was five, our family relocated to Sacramento. So we uh, moved from the south to the west, which is night and day different. And, and when we got to California, um, we, my dad was in the Air Force, and so we were around a lot of Air Force families, um, went to a predominantly black church, but lived in a suburb that was predominantly white, which was very interesting, and, um, and literally um, kind of was a mutt, a Christian mutt. So I went to a Southern Baptist church growing up, um, came down to college, and I went to church wherever I could get a ride. So I ended up um, at a Presbyterian church at first, and then ended up for the next four years at a vineyard church. Um, lived over in East Africa for a while, moved back from East Africa to North County, San Diego, was, at a, was here for a little bit, was at a church in Oceanside, lived in Tahoe for a little bit, and then I've been back here for the past 12 years. It's a wild journey, and yeah. you've got lots of bases covered in terms of experience. Hmm. And mate, just for what it's worth, I want to publicly say this, you are a very, very gifted pastor, one of the most. In fact, I'll put you in a top category of pastors that I've ever seen, the way you love people and care for people, and I hold you in very high regard. Um, so don't you cry, because if you cry, I'm going to cry, and then it's all over. But mate, <laughs> <laughs> but mate, um, 
You know, one of the things we were looking at today in the Word of God was God being a good father. And how have you experienced that um, as one who's a beneficiary of it or one who is doing the fathering? Uh, has that spoken to you and to your heart about, uh, about the concept of fathering? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, when I think about, um, one, my three little kids, you know, I love them to death. They drive me crazy at times, truth, um, but I just love them to death. And they are, um, they are so persistent in terms of the things that they ask for, you know. Um, right now with them being at home and us doing school with them, each of them have different things um, that are needs. And so they are constantly asking us about their needs. You know, Dad, can you help me with this? Dad, can you build this with me? Dad, can I get this? Dad, 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 or Mom, Mom, Mom. And, and there are moments where um, I, you know, just want to... Um, do my thing, and I and but then they're so persistent, and and eventually, you know, I want to be a good father, and so I listen to them and try and get on their their level. And at the end of the day, the truth is, they just want to spend time with me. So even the things that they ask for are are things um, that would create space for them to spend time with me or with Jane, you know. And uh, and so as you know, when I think about this passage. Um, I think a lot about, you know, God, he's not reluctant in terms of he wants us to come to him. Um, he's not looking for a way to, to appease us really quickly and then move on. Um, but he actually loves us. He hears us and he, he values what we have to say, you know, um, and he answers. He answers. Maybe not with the things that we always want. Right. And with my kids, you know, there's things that they may ask me for that aren't the things that they're going to get. Trust me. Right. Because um, they're not the best things. I don't things know how you them. could deny them because they're all oh so gosh. cute. It's be hard. They're <laughs> so cute. My daughters, they've perfected the look. They give me this look. They just look up at me and they make their eyes big. My son right. has not perfected the look, which I'm grateful for. But the girls have perfected the look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so hard. Oh, it's good, mate. Yeah, yeah, deep and rich, you know, um, insights into the Father heart of God. Mm. I, I wanted to ask you, one of the other yeah. things that came out of the Word of God today yeah. was... Um, was that sense of um, uh, as we've been pursuing God, as we've been kind of, you know, persistently asking him and, uh, and seeing uh, how he answers our prayers, seeing uh, ways through deeper intimacy or ways in our life, ways that you and Jane have seen answered prayer. Yeah. Does anything come to mind when yeah. we talk about that? Yeah, the, the thing actually that comes to mind, um, there are plenty of things that have happened since we've been married that have been just miraculous, really miraculous answers to prayer. Um, but, but the thing that initially comes to mind is actually before I met Jane, um, I was, uh, in, had been in ministry for years, had been serving faithfully and, and just said, God, I'll go wherever you say, I'll do whatever you, you tell me to do. Um, but I had this longing, this deep desire to be married. And I remember just praying year after year after year, just God, where's my bride? Where's my wife? And, and year after year, she wasn't there, right? You know? And I, at one point in time, um, I was leading worship with a crew and, and everyone that was on the worship team was leaving and was going to their cars and they were all going with their spouses. And, and I just remember feeling so bummed and I got in the car and I just cried out like, God, where's my, God, where's my wife? You know, I'm banging the steering wheel and whatnot. And next thing I know, um, that following month I meet Jane and God brings, um, Jane into my life and was the best answer to prayer. I couldn't imagine 
what my life would have been like had he not blessed me with her, you know? Um, it would have been, uh, yeah, I can't even imagine, can't even fathom. Yeah, it's good. And also, uh, just as a kind of a footnote or a side note, it's really important, I think, that we as a Jesus community care for those who don't have a partner. That's right. Whether That's they're right. old or young, there's different reasons why yeah. people don't, you know, yeah. to accommodate that. Because that, yeah, that could be a quiet and sad anguish. That's but, right. Yeah, she is amazing. She's awesome. And, uh, yeah, she's, uh, you know, proof positive that yeah. God is a gracious yes, and loving God. Is- <laughs> to you, man. So, yeah, she's very special. That's right. That's right. You know, um, we, we were talking today, or I was talking today, about there being some sort of mysterious connection mm-hmm. between us seeking intimacy with God as we pursue Him, mm-hmm. uh, and also uh, that that uh, the aspect of our lives being lived, you know, our hearts being right and our hands being right, yeah, right. in how we walk out the Jesus life, right. how we live according to the, the Jesus ethic. Do you think that that was a, you know, a right theological sort of track to go down? Or what are your, what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, you know, when, when I think about intimacy, the inward work that God does in our heart, it really transforms our ethics, the outward things that we do. And if it doesn't transform our ethics, then I would question what's taking place inwardly. Um, so if, if your outward expression, your outward life um, doesn't change and look more like the kingdom of God, doesn't look more like the things that matter to Jesus, um, then I would question for myself, I would question, God, am I intimately connecting with you if my life doesn't look more like yours? Yeah, no, it's great, mate. And look, I, I really want to talk about something, and I'm conscious that, um, that it's a, a sensitive topic in some ways, an incendiary topic, but I think it's one that we as the people of God need to move into thoughtfully and carefully and, and lovingly, um, dealing with both justice and peace and holding those two things together in tension. It's been a, such a tumultuous week. I mean, it's been a tumultuous few months with coronavirus and all the deaths and the awfulness and the economic hardships. And then this week, kind of a layer cake on top of that has been what's been going on in Minneapolis and so on. So I want to talk about that. I want to go to that hard place. Uh, I, think, I think we need to. Um, so, so can I ask you just to give some introductory thoughts and then I'll have a few follow-up questions on like, you know, a theology of race and, and what does it mean for us to be the people of peace and the people of, of justice? And it relates, I think, to what you're just saying about us, um, you know, having our ethics and our intimacy with God uh, together. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, when we think about... Um this idea of race and the church, oftentimes um, the church in America likes to say things like, we're colorblind, we don't see race, we don't see culture, we're all one big Jesus community, which I would agree with. However, God created us all uniquely. Um, There is a reason why I have brown skin, right? God created me different than he created you. And when we come together as one, we are a, a, a better picture of the fullness of the body of Christ. And so, so when we think about race, I think we can't invalidate the differences that we all come to the table with. Um, I think what takes place oftentimes is, um, you know, when we think about that final verse, could you read the final verse in, in Matthew, the, the 7 verse 12? Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, you know? Um, I, I've been thinking about this idea of, of the other, you know, w- what was Jesus talking about? And in Jesus's day, the other were people who um, were not uh, considered um, 
of high value in society. Um, they were people who were poor in spirit. They were economically poor. Um, they maybe had physical um, deformities. They um, were sinners. And, and Jesus was saying, do unto others as you would have them do to you. And so I've just been thinking about, in light of everything that's going on, I've been thinking about who are the others, you know, in our community? Who are the others? Um, and I think in a community like ours, in Carlsbad, the others, typically, it's, it's um, someone who's a, of a different culture, of a different race, um, a different socioeconomic status, you know? No, it's great, mate. And I think that that's a great entry point, <clears throat> that, that entry point of kind of empathy and, and wanting to hear and know the other person's uh, perspective and all. And uh, so I think that that's a great entry point. So, so what about, uh, to the extent that you're comfortable, is, um, is any things growing up that just bubble up for you when I say, what, what was it like growing up? I mean, you look different than me and you grew up in a different place than I grew up in. What are some things that, that pop to your mind when I say that, that we can start to listen? This is the beginning of a massive journey I think the yes. people of God need to be on and us as a church, uh, Jesus community within that. Yeah. But what are some things that come to your mind, um, you know, when I ask that? You know, when I, when I think about my journey as a, an African-American man in um, a predominantly white neighborhood growing up and a predominantly white school, there's myself and one other um, African-American kid in, in our class. And, and literally, anytime anything would go missing in our class, our teacher would have the two of us stay behind and they would ask us where, where, where that thing was. Um, it, it, they knew that we had taken it. And neither of us had had done it, but we were always the first ones to be accused. And that was a narrative that followed me throughout my life. Like, I literally, to this day, there are times if something goes missing, I feel this ghost guilt. I call it ghost guilt. Like, I did something wrong, and, like, people are going to think I'm the one who took it. Um, because that narrative, literally, every step of, of my life has followed me. Um, my dad, growing up, though, was a very wise man. And, uh, um, and he sat me down probably at maybe eight or nine, maybe even younger, maybe seven. But I remember him having a conversation and him saying to me, son, um, you are going to be treated differently because of the color of your skin. People are going to disrespect you. They're not going to treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. However, you treat them with respect. He said, don't ever treat someone um, less than you would expect them to treat you. Always treat them with, with respect, regardless of, of whether or not they're going to respect you. And, and that, to me, um, I am so grateful for those words. And for what it's worth, I see that manifest in your life, the, the degree to which you accord others respect as being made in the image of God, I think is a real hallmark of you. So good advice, dad, and, and, and well-followed son. Mm. Mm. So, mate, um, I mean, you know, at, at the moment, everything is kind of incendiary. And if we get stuck in our little echo chambers around social media and things like that, we can start to hear a lot of voices that are kind of like our own. Um, but I, uh, I think you and Jane have an extraordinarily, you know, broad bunch of friends. In fact, I mean, even I know personally because you've introduced me to a few of your friends who are police officers and I know you have deep respect for them. But what do you think about right now? There's this kind of division that is happening and it's been, there's some folks who it kind of feels like out of, um, I don't know, malintent or just uh, ignorantly are kind of... Um, fostering that or trying to stoke the fires 
of that. Um, what would you say to that from either side of that discussion? What would you say to those folks? I mean, going back to what we talked about in terms of um, Jesus talking about the other, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, I think about that question, who are the others in our lives? And, and if Jesus told us to treat them as, as we would like to be treated, then we need to be thinking through who are the people that are different than us? Who are the people that look different than us? And let's not treat them disrespectfully. Let's not invalidate their experience. On the contrary, um, let's get to know their experience. Um, let's get to hear their stories. If there's something that I don't understand, instead of making a blanket public statement on our social media, um, I, I need to have an actual conversation with an actual human being um, whose story I may have never heard. And once I do hear, I'll have compassion about uh, a compassion towards uh, their, their passion um, about a certain subject or, or topic. Yeah, that's great. And like you say, nothing or no people group, however you define that group, is monolithic. Not That's everyone right. who lives in Carlsbad thinks a certain way. That's right. Not everybody who grew up in even Western Australia thinks a certain that's right. way. Um, so that's, that's really good seeing yeah. that or allowing for there to be that beauty of difference. Yeah. But I want to get to tin tax on something yeah. here. If, if you're right. Yes. You yeah. Have yeah. Some yes. Okay. I'm, I'm, I want to so, go there. So, all right. So um, positioning ourselves in a place of listening and empathy, I think, is a good, a good start. Being someone who has a heart to be a peacemaker, mm-hmm. that's a good start. Mm-hmm. But what, what does active love look like? Mm-hmm. What, what might active love look yeah. like in this particular issue? There's lots yeah. of, you know, uh, justice and injustice issues that we as a church need to engage in. But give us some, give us some ideas, and I'd love for that to be an ongoing discussion yeah. for us as a church. So one, one piece of active love is to acknowledge that racism exists acknowledge that there that racial injustice is a real thing um oftentimes we think it's just in minnesota or it's just in georgia or it's just in texas um but literally here at our church there was a night that i was preaching on a saturday night service and someone ran down the hall threw open the door and shouted the n-word at the top of their lungs and then kept running and that night, there was an, one of our students who was African-American. That was her last night coming to our church. Her mom has since started to come back, but she never set foot in our church again. Racial injustice is not just a foreign concept. It is right here in Carlsbad. Um, I've been pulled over countless times. And again, I love, I, I, some of my closest friends are law enforcement. I don't think, I'm not putting a blanket statement against law enforcement. I love, I, I love, I'm grateful for our law enforcement. Um, but there are times where I have been profiled here in Carlsbad, where friends of mine have been profiled, have been pulled over and pulled out of their car and held at gunpoint, only to realize that they, it wasn't actually the person that, that they were looking for. And so, so I think, number one, acknowledge the fact that there is racism in our nation, that there, there is, racial profiling is a real thing. Um, be willing to um, acknowledge that, um, first and foremost, and then um, there's a, a quote I'd like to read. Um, so um, today um, I read a, a, a post of a worship leaders, and he says this. He's a, a, a white worship leader from the Midwest. And he says, through the years, people have called me names, talked behind my back, questioned my faith, tried to silence me, but I've always been able to breathe. I've never had to cry out, I can't breathe. I know it offends people when we talk about 
these kinds of things. But I realize now more than ever that it offends Jesus when we don't. And so for me, when I think about um, our church, um, when I think about the body of Christ, I think we cannot remain silent. Um, There are things that happen that maybe they didn't come knocking on your door, but they affect people who were created in the image of God, and they're just not right. We would speak out about things that aren't right that knock on our door, that, that end up on our doorstep. But God doesn't care about the things on your doorstep any less than he cares about, or any more than, the, than he cares about the people who um, are in pain in, in the Midwest. Um, so, so, so not being silent, um, speaking out the heart of God, because this, this matters to him. Yeah, it, it really does. So, so admitting that it exists, um, allowing yourself to listen and, and empathize, um, speaking out, um, you know, at, at the right time. What are some uh, other practical ways? You gave a great yeah. one before. I guess this yeah. is a leading question. Yeah. Um, but, but you gave some great ones before about just, as a ch- we're a church community. We're yeah. messy. We're all imperfect yeah. people, That's broken right. and, and basket cases most yeah. of the time. I feel like one yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. What would it look like for, for me to press forward in this? Yeah, you know, um, and interesting, I... I heard an interesting um, quote from an African-American pastor in the Midwest. And he said, um, take out your phone. And he said, look at the most recent, the last 10 people that you've either texted, called, or messaged on your phone. And he said, if none of them are the other, then you need to go out and find someone who is another and hear their story. So like racially other, socially other, socially, you know, exactly. Difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And for sake of this conversation, I would say racially. Yeah, Um, yeah. Find someone who is is of a different race, of a different ethnicity than you are, um, and get to know them. Simply say, hey, can we go to coffee, distance coffee? Right? <laughs> distance um, coffee right now, yeah. Yeah, or can we have a Zoom conversation? Um, I want to hear your story. Um, I want to listen and hear your story. Um, I think that we as a, a people um, will see the fullness of, body, of the body of Christ if mm. we do just that, you know. Yeah. Oh, man, we can dream of that day. Yeah, that's right. You know. And, hey, uh, any, any last parting thoughts that you want for uh, our church family to hear? Yeah. So uh, there's a quote from Elie Wiesel, um, the Oxford survivor and Nobel Peace Prize winner. And um, he famously stated um, that, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And so I just would encourage us as a church family to not be indifferent, to actually allow God, his love to, to enter into the, the depths of our hearts and to transform us, to change us from the inside out. Yeah, that's great, mate. Great words. Hey, church family, we have just begun this. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, Right. We, uh, but this is not a taboo subject. We can talk about this. I think we need to talk about this. There's a good many things we need to talk about, but this is surely one of them. And that's a great thought as we end here. We looked at the difference between not only just not doing what is hateful to others, um, but actually doing what is loving to others. What would it look like for us as we sing this next song and as we come to a close, I pray that you and us, we would be able to sing this together as a blessing over ourselves, a blessing over our children, a blessing over our church, a blessing over our wider community as we keep moving forward together.
So guys, it's been great to be here in God's Word today. And what a, a rich conversation with Willie. So much more that we need to talk about and press into together. Let me just pray for us now as we go. God, we thank you that there's a connection between living out the Jesus life and the intimacy that we have with you. We thank you that no prayer that we could ever utter would not be listened to by you. You keenly have an ear for it. And thank you that you're a good father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take care, church. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.